Thank you for listening to this Chess Zoom podcast. Listen, learn, and crush. In this podcast, we're going to have a look at some fantastic military tactics that great war generals from the past used and directly relate them to the chessboard. So here we go. Sun Tzu said, all warfare is based on deception. The Merriam-Webster's Dictionary's definition of the word crush is to squeeze or to force by pressure so as to alter or destroy structure or to subdue completely. Let's keep those in mind as we roll this one out. I think chess has a lot in common with Napoleon Bonaparte. There is much to learn if we just take a quick look. Napoleon Bonaparte would consistently win his battles with a significantly smaller army versus his opponents. Not always, but most of the time while he was in the opponent's home territory. How is that possible, you may ask? Well, Napoleon would use a tactic that was seen in chess very often, and that is a concentration of force. And Napoleon would consistently target critical areas on the battlefield. We also see this in chess all the time. However, one tactic that would consistently lead to Napoleon's success the military tactics of defeat in detail, which were cloaked in deception, and the use of lightning-fast timing was applied selectively. In other words, Napoleon Bonaparte would discover a weakness of his opponents, target the weakness without his opponent knowing, and with fast-moving orders, he would assemble a large group of his men from other groups than he had divided earlier strike at the target instantaneously delivering a critical strike. Defeat in detail, also known as divide and conquer, is a military term where to defeat an opponent by crushing smaller portions of the opponent's army instead of directly attacking the bulk of the army all in one large crash or clash. To briefly state this, when Napoleon was ready to select where and when the battle would take place. During the day, and more likely in a farm field, Napoleon would arrive in marching formation with what appeared was the entire army intact. Then he would divide his army into smaller groups and take up battle formations across from his opponents, signaling to them that they are there and ready to fight. Continuing with this brief example, but with a little bit more detail. So during the day, Napoleon would move into battle formations, line up his forces across from his opponents, and he would make it appear that no matter where the other general goes, it would appear that that general had a superior force matched up with Napoleon's. So Napoleon's opponent would divide his army, naturally, however this is what Napoleon wanted them to do, He would divide them into groups that outnumbered Napoleon's positions and confidently would settle into the night expecting an easy victory for the next day, thus dropping their guard and stimulating overconfidence in the mind of Napoleon's opponents. That is the beginnings of defeat in detail. Make your opponent think and believe certain things and influencing your opponent to move to locations where you have planned for them to be already. I just wanted to add this quickly. Sun Tzu's The Art of War would say this is the use of Deception 101. Appear weak when you are actually strong 
opponent make moves that favor yourself, however, they seem natural and sensible to be making them, not to arouse too much suspicion, as you are about to see why. The position simplified would look something like this. If Napoleon had 4,000 men and his opponent had 8,000 men, and Napoleon had taken up four positions, dividing his forces into equal groups of 1,000 men at each position. Napoleon's opponent would divide his army, for this example, into equal sizes of 2,000 men per position. So currently, it is 2,000 versus 1,000 men at each position. Napoleon is simply outnumbered 2 to 1. This is exactly what Napoleon wanted his opponents to think, see, and believe. However, in Napoleon's camp, the magic to his plans are currently being conjured toward completion. During that night, and early into the next morning, after considerable deliberations and planning, with lightning speed, Napoleon would command a batch of secret orders right before sunrise. Napoleon's orders included the shuffling of his army and to have large groups from other positions collect together very quickly into a giant force that would be concentrated all onto a single target. For example, it might have looked like this. Napoleon's army was awake and ready for combat. Napoleon would pull 800 men from three other positions he had taken up and would have 200 men remain to defend as if nothing had changed. This is all conducted before sunrise under the cover of darkness. Napoleon now has 3,400 men targeted at his opponent's 2,000, significantly outnumbering his unsuspecting adversaries. And in a flash, Napoleon would burst into a storm of activity towards his opponent's positions using all of the 3,400 men to have a concentration of force applied to the battlefield. Napoleon would use speed and timing to assist in the execution of the attack orders. Napoleon stacked his tactics together in combinations like we do in chess. He used tactics like the hammer and anvil tactic to outmaneuver and to overcome his sleepy opponents. And not slowing down for a second, once he was on his opponent's side of the battlefield, Napoleon had detailed, drawn-out plans of what to do next and when. He knew where his opponent was going to move and simply outthought his opponents. He would crush and immediately rush to his new target, displaying his understanding of defeat in detail. Napoleon would slay his opponents time and time again, earning himself the title of Napoleon the Great. No other person in history has been written more about than Napoleon Bonaparte, and we can see why. He took the business of warfare very seriously. So many chess games can predictably be one large clashing of the two armies, or one large force concentrated on a targeted selection of the board, and simply take the position as if it was undefended or just poorly defended. And then if the attack was not enough, the end game begins, and perhaps the player with the attacking momentum shall enjoy to have a few nice advantages. The lesson here is when playing chess, you must devise a plan for your opponent to divide.
divide their army into multiple positions and, having planned this ahead of time, strike at a secret location that is favorable for you and unnoticed for your opponent. This position should be of value to your opponent. Value can be assessed in many ways because the value of things in chess so quickly change and often. However, one standard way to assess value is your opponent's force. Who is active and who is not? And what type of role are they playing on the board? Battlefield tactics like these need to be learned and then applied. This takes mental preparation, training, and execution. And that takes time and energy, a finite resource. You have to want to study the game and want to use your time wisely doing so like listening to this chess podcast. Mental pressure in chess can be overwhelming, and at times it can break your opponent if all you do is simply apply the pressure correctly and hopefully unsuspectingly. It is a discipline that should be tempered with your ego in check, pardon the pun, as most of us start off with the weakness of lack of experience on the chessboard. We must be aware of these possible personal weaknesses and nurture them into a mature strength. We can be overwhelmed quickly and lose many a chess games without even knowing how or why, let alone having the slightest idea that our opponent was using the despicable strategic and tactical ideas of applying and building up pressure on us, aka the concentration of force. And if you are not aware of how your shall we say, natural reactions may be to the pressure, you may be walking right into a trap. This reminds me of the strong Russian players, as they were known to apply pressure non-stop during the course of a game. Some of us can do this naturally without much training needed. Then there are some of us who need to be shown these simple yet crushing facts. One idea to help you see the battlefield differently, or in an improved sense, is we need to consider these military tactics were for keeps. There was no going back after the cannonball had destroyed an infantryman. These military operations were for life and death, plain and simple. So the cutting general needs to balance all elements on the battlefield, and in our case, the chessboard. Once you commit to learning strategies, tactics, and of course, the art of deception in chess, Only then can the knowledge be transferred. By taking examples from real events that actually happened on the life or death battlefield, I believe these lessons can be learned and applied to your chess. At times when pressure is on and you cannot seem to find the path to safety or success, then perhaps try this next. In your mind's eye, take all the chess pieces off the board except for the pawns. And imagine that a waterfall is pouring down just behind where your pieces would line up at the start of the game. And imagine you see the water flowing across the board in front of you going toward your opponent's side. Do your best to observe where the water is flowing without breaking concentration. This is the current flow of energy on the battlefield. Pay attention to where the water is flowing without restriction and where the water is crashing and how the water would pool up swirl and overflow. Now envision that if the pawns were moved a certain way after an exchange or two, 
How is the energy flowing now? You can use this technique to quickly assess or study the position and have a sense of the flow of energy. You ideally want the energy to be flowing with your army towards your goals and to have the congestion for your opponent to have to deal with. Pressure can be defined as a continuous force applied to or against an object by something in contact with it or the use of persuasion or influence to make someone do something. If pressure is a knife, then deception is the edge that is sharpened onto it. The two go hand in hand if the wielder is aware of this connection. By forcing a physical reaction on the board, we can predict with accuracy at times what your opponent is thinking and likely going to do. A force move comes to mind, of course. In chess and on the battlefield, you need to apply pressure and strike hard and strike fast at selected targeted areas that are of value to you and perhaps your opponent as well. Therefore, building up pressure and striking at decisive targets can begin to break your opponent's desire to continue fighting after a critical hit has been delivered. So how do we apply pressure or concentration of force in chess? There are many ways, however, one way is to use the tactics of pins. Pins are to be executed by your pieces that move in straight lines, and they are your rooks, bishops, and queens. For that reason, these pieces are of good military value, and their value can be assessed by the position and the activity that they can be involved in on the chessboard. Pins are just one of several tactics that are in every stage of the game, provided you have the means to execute them. A tactical pin should be a high value in your chess game. Before you apply a pin, you should perhaps have the stage set where your other pieces can support the pin and join in on the battle on your command. Pins are not always available, however. You should become aware of when they do. Pay attention to your opponent's pieces as they may become connected on a rank, file, or diagonal. That should be a red flag for you to target those pieces. Pins and chest to me are like pressure points on the human body. When you apply energy to the correct targeted area with enough pressure, you can stimulate a reaction from your opponent. Pressure can cause your opponent to react in a way that they were not planning or expecting to. And at times, these reactions can be predictable, as mentioned before, with a forced move. And a pin in chess can have the same effect on the board. This also opens up the strategy of managing your opponent's time and resources for them. A most useful approach indeed, woven with deception in mind, no doubt. A principle in chess is, if a piece is pinned, it should be attacked, i.e. building up pressure. Pins combined with attack orders reminds me of the hammer and anvil military tactic, where one part of the army pins down or holds in place a section of the opposing army, while a second or possibly even greater force hammers away on the opponent's flank or from the rear, resulting in a crushing effect. When playing your chess, your role is to command in a way that you bring community of unity with your orders. In other words, you are to bring everyone together to work toward the common goals you have set. Your army is not going to break rank 
run and flee from the board, and your duty is to not give up to the pressure either. You cannot win every battle you take on. Chess and life are not about that. However, with every loss in chess, you are given the answer as to why. Seeing the chessboard from the point of view from history, where real lives were lost and real lives were forever changed due to the strategy and tactics that were applied, should be empowering. Chess provides us with the farm field battlefield, an extremely disciplined, capable, and willing army. All that is left up to you is to listen, learn, and crush. Thank you for tuning in to this Chessu podcast. We really sincerely hope you can use some of this information to improve your games, bring a new surgence of life and energy to your chess, and to hopefully, all in fun, crush your opponents. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you at the next one.